Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. There's so many people that serve, that use their gifts, use their talents. You know, God has wired them a certain way, and when they step into that, when they, when they use what God has given them, when the, God, the power that God's given, the gifts, the, the talents, the abilities, it's so beautiful and so wonderful, and God is glorified. God has always worked through His people to accomplish His purposes. God has always worked through His people to accomplish His purposes in the world, His redemptive purposes his kingdom-building purposes, his life-changing purposes. Uh, God wants to use you in his ministry. God wants to use you in his work. It's always been that way for, God, for the church, always been that way for God's people. Every person in this room who's a believer in Jesus Christ, who's come to faith in Christ, who's been born again, who's, who's been, become part of the church of Jesus Christ, God wants to use you. He will use you in ministry. What, how can you serve? How, how can you, how can you uh, participate in the work of God, uh, uh, bringing people to Christ, discipling people, transforming lives? It's, it's a big deal. We, we continue our sermon series in the, the book of Acts, and we come to a historical section where I think Luke is lining up a bunch of examples of, him, of God using uh, different people, different personalities, different styles, to advance his gospel, to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, change lives. Let's look at it, please. Please open your Bibles to Acts 18. Acts 18, God is always using his people through song, through uh, gifts of service, through hospitality, through speaking gifts, through uh, just acts of love. Uh, There's so many different ways. God is going to use you. He wants to use you in his, his purposes in this world. Uh, believe it and act on it. Uh, Acts chapter 18, if you look at, at verse 18 with me, uh, and let me just run through this section a little bit. Uh, again, there's so much information coming at us, so many historical facts, and it's, it's, it's hard to hear the point sometimes, but let, let me bring it to you. Uh, after this, verse 18 of Acts 18, after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and sisters and set sail for Syria. With him were Priscilla and Aquila. Centuria, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. Uh, the Apostle Paul, a Jewish man, kept some of the Jewish customs, and he was intending, after the second missionary journey, to go to Jerusalem to the temple and continue that Nazarite vow. We don't have time to go into that, but it's fascinating. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they had asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. If God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. And so we got a, a bunch of history packed there. The end of the second missionary journey, Paul's second missionary journey as we call it. Uh, Paul is uh, um, traveling from what is now Greece, right, the, the Greek, southern Greece, the province of Achaia, Corinth and, and Athens, that region, and he's, he's traveling across the Aegean Sea to uh, southwest Turkey, uh, to Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus is, is, was a mega city of the day. There weren't very many huge cities back then, um, but Ephesus was about 500,000 people. Just a, a mega city of the day because many, many of the towns and cities were, weren't anywhere near that. Okay, if, if Athens was the intellectual center, as we looked at a few weeks ago, Corinth was a commercial center of, of the Roman Empire. Athens or, or uh, Ephesus is kind of a religious center. The, the temple the, to, to Artemis, great as Artemis of Ephesus. We'll look at that next week. Um, uh, this, this, this religious city, Paul goes there and he wants to bring the gospel there. Uh, but he's also, as, just, as Luke tells us some of the history, some of the facts, he started to minister, but then he left. He set sail from Ephesus, and he says, if God wills, I'm going to come back. Whatever our, our calling is, whatever our ministry is, our, our jobs, uh, our, our vocations, whatever God has us doing 
in, in, in this world. We do it for him, for his glory. We, we do it by his power, by his strength. Uh, but Paul surrenders himself to the sovereign will of God, the providential will of God to bring him where he should go, when he should be there. So he sets sail, but where, where does he go? He goes back home to Syria. He goes back home to Antioch. Uh, remember the missionary church? We've been talking about the missionary, the sending church again and again as we've sent out missionaries from this church. Uh, that's happened for 2,000 years now. Churches sending out people, sending out people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, sending out people to change lives, sending out people to win people to Christ, to disciple people, and then send out more people. So Antioch's been an ascending church, and so he goes back to his home church, as it were, where he ministered with Barnabas for, for, for a long time before starting these missionary journeys. And he's, uh, he goes back and gives the missionary report. Right? What, what a great journey. It's a couple years gone. This is probably uh, AD 52. Uh, AD 52, he's probably about 50 years old, 52 years old, the Apostle Paul. He goes back and, and he stays there for probably a year. And then spring, you know, in the spring when the roads dry up and, and when things open up, probably spring of 53, he's traveling to uh, another missionary journey. He goes the inland route, he goes through the center of Turkey. And he finds himself back in Ephesus. That's kind of the journey. But he went to Jerusalem, and there's, there's a whole backstory there as well. Um, and that's to set, set some of this up. Luke wants us to, he's setting the table for some of the things he wants us to understand. So look at verse 24. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, so he's from Egypt, uh, this, this Egyptian, uh, uh, Alexandria was another mega city of the time, so to speak, um, a very, very intellectual place. This, this Jew named Apollos came from Alexandria. He came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He had been fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. So really, really interesting, uh, strange kind of combination there. Uh, he began to speak boldly in a synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. So he wanted to go over to Corinth or, uh, or, or, or Athens. He wanted to go over that direction. Uh, they wrote a letter in, to encourage him and, and, and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he, he greatly helped those uh, through grace, uh, ha had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. The Christ is Jesus. The Messiah is Jesus. You know, that, that message. And, and it really, really interesting, uh, this whole sequence of things. Because remember last week, as we looked at the start of chapter 18, how Paul uh, came to Corinth, and there he met Aquila and Priscilla, they were all tent makers. Paul, uh, you know, he worked during the week to earn a living, and then on, on Sabbath, on Saturday, he'd go and preach. And then, then when Paul's associates, uh, Timothy and, and, and Silas, came down, they, they brought a love offering, it seems, and he was able to then preach full-time uh, the, from Philippi. They came down from there from Philippi. But he met Priscilla and Aquila, and, and, and this, this relationship started with these people. And for maybe months and months and months, he's working with him, and he's actually living with him. Now, you think about this. We don't know at this. We, we know that Aquila and Priscilla are Christians, but we don't know if they're really in ministry yet. We don't know if they've been serving yet. We don't know how the depth of their, their um, Christian life, if they've, if they've moved from just believing in Jesus to you know, following Jesus as Lord. We, we don't know the whole sequence. Hopefully, you haven't just been a believer in Jesus to this point because God has called you to serve him. Uh, God has wired you for ministry. God has called you to get involved in His work. He's always worked through His people, and He has a purpose for you to work for Him for His glory. So what, what we see here, we think what's happening, is that Paul is rubbing off on Priscilla and Aquila. He's pouring into them. For months and months, they're meeting in, in, their, in, in, in their house. They might have, have started a house church there. We're not sure. Um, but Paul, can you imagine the conversations as they're, they're tent making all day long together, uh, you know, putting together these, these, these fabrics and these textiles for these tents, and, and uh, he's pouring into them. There's a discipleship going on here. You know, what, what, and, and the idea is that Paul is pouring into these people who then pour into other people, right? We, we see that 
in Timothy, the letters to, the Tim, to Timothy. I, I pour into you so that you can pour into others. I'm discipling you so you can disciple others. That's the way it's been for so many centuries now, is passing on what we know, what God has given us, so that others can be in ministry, so that they can bless others, mature others, disciple others, serve others. Like the, the singers that we've had today, the, this legacy quartet, who poured into them? How did God set the table for them to serve? I bet it was through other people. I bet it was through other people that, that took the time to teach them and train them and educate them and, and help them with stage presence, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's the same thing everywhere. Every church, if it's a healthy church, if it's a people that are going and being used by God, there's always a backstory. There's always people that have poured into people. Who's poured into you? And, and are you using what God has given you through the church, through the people of God, to transform lives? It's God's intention. It's God's desire. He doesn't want you to get saved and just wait for heaven. He's, he's saved you. He's bought you with his blood. We celebrated that at communion. He gave everything for you with the idea not that you could just be in heaven, not for your sake, but for others' sake. Man, there's, there's never retirement in the ministry. There's never retirement, so to speak, for Christians. We're, we're never meant to like, well, I've served 20 years and then I'm done. Never. While we draw breath, we're serving the Lord. While we draw breath, we're following Jesus. Uh, and and we, we, we see here just some, some hints and some... But the way Luke's put this, 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 this text together, you can just see how Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila and Priscilla, how they, uh, they, they travel. We, we see it here. When Paul goes to Ephesus, guess who goes with Paul, uh, Aquila and Priscilla? And why are they going? It's not just to make tents, I'm sure. They, 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 go to, they go to Ephesus, and they, uh, they want to serve. Maybe they're going to plant a church there. Maybe they're going to be involved in ministry. But Paul has poured himself into them, and now they're ready to do their thing. Right? Now they're ready to act. And so Paul leaves them there. Okay? So, so they, they, start, uh, they start maybe ministry, and then this guy Apollo shows up. Now, uh, I, I should show you. Look, look at uh, Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, verse, verse 3. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing this letter to the Romans. Uh, uh, and, and notice who he greets. Uh, Prissa, or Priscilla, and Aquila. They've, they've moved. At, this is several years later. They've moved back to Rome. Remember, last week we learned that they were kicked out of Rome. The Christians in AD 49 were kicked out of Rome because the Christians... The Jews rioted against the Christians, and the, the emperor at that time sent them all out, thinking they were the same group. Uh, and so, but now they move back to Rome. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Now, maybe they were fellow tent makers when they first met, first met, but then they became workers because Paul had poured himself into them. He he taught them the way of the Lord. He discipled them, sent them into ministry. Who risked their necks for my life? to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. This ministry of, of Aquila and Priscilla has blossomed. This ministry of Aquila and Priscilla, man, over the years, they just keep growing and growing and serving in new capacities and new ways. Uh, we, we're not told how uh, they saved Paul's life. Uh, he, he doesn't give us that information. But uh, beyond just helping him and serving him, a co-worker with Paul, now they're, they're doing their thing, not only in, in Ephesus, but uh, they go to Rome. Greet also the church in their house. And, and there's other people that he wants to greet there. But so they, they've, not, they've not stayed just kind of earning a living. They, they've not stayed just making tents and, and you know, pouring into their mortgage or pouring into their RV or pouring into their you know, their, their retirement plan. They, they, they become ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I'm sure they continue to be tent makers. You know, their business can travel from there to there to there. Uh, but it's a means to an end. It's not an end. <laughs> Making money is not an end. Building a house is not an end. Right? It's serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We're here temporarily. We're here for such a short time. Right? We're just here today and gone tomorrow. We're like a vapor in the wind. You know, even the houses that we build to last for 100 or 200 years, they're, they're all going to burn, right? They're, they're all coming to an end. And so a mindset of, of, of the gospel, a mindset of the kingdom of God coming, the mindset of the world that's going to be cha changed when Jesus comes back, it, it really lends itself to, what am I doing here? 
How, how, how have I been, been wired? How have I been put here? How has God sovereignly worked in me? Maybe through the family I was born into. Like we, like we see, you know, Anna's dad and, and how that's passed on to Anna and probably passed on to Samuel and, you know, just the legacy that, that's moved through generation through generation. How, how the place we're born, the troubles, the tribulations we go through, the, and, but, but our, our nature too, how has God put a personality in place? How has God put the, this certain person together in, in all of his goofy self for his glory, right? Uh, so Priscilla and Aquila... Uh, this, this couple, this married couple, they're not like Paul. You know, Paul, type A, kind of maybe obnoxious, maybe in your face, very opinionated. These are more behind-the-scenes people. Hospitality is a big part of their life. You know, they welcome the Apostle Paul into their home. Now they have a house church in Rome. Maybe in Ephesus they had a house church. They, they, they're servants wherever they go, but they're working behind the scenes, and boy, sometimes we look at married couples and, and how powerful they can be. Every person here, single, married, you know, widowed, whatever, you, if you're a believer, you have a place to serve in the kingdom of God. You have, you have a work to do. I, I don't know exactly what it is for each of you individually. You know, through your vocation, through the, through the thing you do for a living, God should be there. You know, you're serving the Lord at your workplace. You're serving the Lord in your business. You're serving the Lord. But here the, the, we, we see in this, this ministry, um, different from the Apostle Paul. You know, Paul traveled solo. You know, he had these companions through different seasons, through the different missionary journeys. He wasn't, you know, he didn't travel with a wife. But here, Priscilla and Aquila... Aquila and Priscilla. Now, it's a fascinating thing how that name, um, the way Luke listed and, and the way Apostle Paul listed here in, in, in the book of Romans, Priscilla comes first. Now, it's a fascinating question. We can't get into that. Why? Because maybe she's the, she's the more gifted servant of, the, of, the, of the, the marriage. I don't know. Maybe she's the, the leader in some fashions of ministry. There's fascinating questions. But they're doing it together. They're doing it together as a married couple. I often see in our church... Um, one spouse serving the Lord and the other, the other spouse not. Now, I, I might be wrong about that um, because we can work uh, for the Lord at, at our workplace, can't we? We can serve the Lord. It's not just within these four walls where we serve the Lord. It's on the road. It's, it's at the bank. It's at the, you know, digging ditches. It's washing dishes. It's, you know, all, all the things, teaching kids. It's, we can serve the Lord anywhere. But oftentimes in marriage... Uh, the, it, it seems like the, the husband and wife are kind of siloed. They're not together in it. They're, they're not of one accord. We see here just an example for us to consider as a married couple, what a powerful thing if husband and wife are working together. They're using their home. They're using their family. They see their home. They see their family as the blessings they have to exalt God, to glorify God. It's, it's a wonderful thing when people are in one accord in marriage. And they're using what they have for God's glory. They're working together for God's glory. So maybe, maybe that husband and wife, if you're here today, think about that. What, what's your, where's your business going? Where's your, what's your future? Maybe you're looking forward to retirement and, and you're like, well, I can't wait to get on the road in the RV and can't wait to do this or can't wait to do that. But are you together and are you serving the Lord? Uh, God, God never, get, when you retire from your business, the second half is for him still just as the first half should have been for him. Now the second half is for him. Uh, and I just love the example of Priscilla and Aquila. If you look back in, in Acts, you see the, the, what's going on there. They, uh, this, this guy Apollos comes. Now he's different from Paul. He's, he's an Egyptian. He, he comes from, uh, you know, maybe there's an intellectual kind of thing with Paul and Tarsus as he grew up. Tarsus was a learning center. There's a university there, the famous university in Alexandria. Maybe Apollos was a, a high-achieving uh, guy. But it says here he was an eloquent man. Um, maybe he was taught the, the rhetoric of the day. Maybe he was taught to, taught to speak in certain ways. Uh, but in the culture of the day, he was an eloquent man. He was competent in the Scriptures. Now, he was a Jewish man, so what it means is what we call the Old Testament. He was competent in the Old Testament because by this time, the New Testament hasn't really been written yet, okay? So when it says scriptures, we're talking about the Old Testament. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Now, fascinating um, uh, what's going on here. Uh, 
if you notice, he, was, he knew only the baptism of John. Uh, the baptism of John, what, what, what's that about? Uh, remember John the Baptist? Remember as he came as, for a spokesman, you know, the forerunner of Jesus, the Messiah? And he called people to, bapti- to be baptized. It's a baptism of repentance with the idea, the Messiah's coming. The anointed one, the Christ is coming. You better get ready. And as a, as a way for them to show externally what was in their heart, a repentance, they were baptized in the Jordan River. Uh, so at some point, the disciples of, of John, they moved way beyond Jerusalem, <laughs> beyond the Jordan, beyond Israel. There's disciples of John in Egypt, right? Hundreds and hundreds of miles away. It was a movement of discipleship, but they weren't Jesus' disciples. They were John's disciples. So Apollos comes out of that tradition. Um, He knew only the baptism of John. He was fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately things concerning Jesus. But it's it's like, why if if he spoke and taught accurately the things of Jesus, why wasn't he baptized? You know, baptism doesn't save, but it certainly is part of the complex of, of, of repentance and belief. You know, the Spirit coming, uh, baptism, you know, in the church, in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Why, why, why didn't he get a Christian baptism if he knew all about Jesus? So there's a lot of debate whether Apollos was a Christian yet or not. Maybe he was a zealous Jewish man who, uh, who was preaching the Messiah, get ready for the Messiah. But then why does it talk about Jesus? He was a teacher of Jesus. So it's a strange, odd kind of, and I wish Luke would have expanded more, but we have everything we need in the Word of God here. So, uh, But notice who poured into him. The couple that Paul had poured into, the couple that Paul had ministered and discipled, now they, in Paul's absence, right, he's gone back to Syria. Now in Ephesus, they're leading a church. They're, they're guiding people in ministry. So they hear him preach in the synagogue, and, and they, they didn't stand up like sometimes in social media, you see Christians ripping on each other. Sometimes in social media, like, that's false. You jerk, you know, the Christian way. This is correct doctrine. And I'm so embarrassed sometimes by social media, how Christians, and I know there's false teachers that need to be called out, but some, some of the ways that Christians treat each other on social media is just embarrassing, right? And it's just like there, there should be better conversations behind the scenes because we see here, for, uh, for Priscilla and Aquila, uh, they, approached, they approached Apollos differently. Uh, in verse 20, 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They didn't embarrass him. They didn't call him out in public. They invited him over for dinner. Their hospitality, gifts, and ministries came through, and they, hey, let's talk about Jesus a little bit more. You know, tell me about your... Your conversion experience, you know, they probably had all those conversations, and, and maybe there was some doctrinal point that Apollos just wasn't taught in or trained in or he wasn't mature, and so they filled in the gaps for him. They brought him up to speed. What a great ministry that could happen in this church, that could happen at, at your workplace with other believers that you know, just loving people into Jesus, growing them into Jesus, discipling them, pouring, edifying them, building them up. But, but the, 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 the rhythm there is, is so Aquila and Priscilla, they learn from Paul. Now they're pouring in Apollos. And then look what happens with Apollos. He's already started, you know, a, a great, great ministry. Um, verse 27, when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers, Achaia again, Corinth, across the Aegean Sea, uh, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. So they're saying, hey, church, welcome this guy. He's going to be an asset to your church. He's going to be an asset to your ministry. Because in Corinth, right, it's another mega city. It's about 750,000 people. And there's a lot of room for new churches to start. So they really, yeah, he feels called to be there. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. He was poured into and now he can pour into others. He was served by the Apostle Paul uh, through Aquila and Priscilla. Now he can serve others. He powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So the, the synagogues there in Corinth were saying, he's not the Messiah, he's not the Redeemer, he's not the Savior. And, and Paulus, because he was such an eloquent speaker, such a rhetorician, he was such a great, powerful speaker, right? 
Uh, he could debate with him. He could use apologetics. He could say, yes, he is the, he is the Jesus. The scripture said this was going to happen and this happened. Right? God used him powerfully, but if, if somebody didn't come alongside him, if somebody didn't disciple him, if somebody didn't pour into him, uh, he would have been limited in what he could do. God works through his people to build up his church. God uses you and I to pour into others so that God can minister through them to change lives. It's a beautiful thing when the church is alive. It's a beautiful thing when, when the church is serving one another, building one up, up each other in love. Um, there, there's, there's so many scriptures that we could, we could go to, and, and, but I... I look, at, look at Ephesians chapter 4. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. Uh, it's talking about spiritual gifts, en- enablements, endowments of power from the Spirit. But grace was given to each one to, of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Uh, God gave each, gave each of us, when we came to Christ, gave each of us grace, empowerment, empowerments, endowments of power for His glory, for His use in the church. And if you look at verse 16, uh, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, when each part, using the grace it's been given, is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do you see yourself in that? You should. You have gifts and talents from heaven that God has given you that's not meant to be left on the shelf, not meant to be retired, not meant to be left <laughs> fallow. Supposed to be fruit that comes out of that, crops that come out of that. God wants to use it for His glory and to grow other people, to bless other people, to serve other people. You've been given grace, you've been given spiritual gifts, you've been given endowments of power to serve others, to love others, to bless others. God has always worked through His people for His glory, always worked through His people to change lives, to bring people to Jesus Christ by the announcement of the gospel, to disciple people, to edify people, to build people up. You have a pardon. I don't know what your role is. I don't know what your role is. I was just talking to, you know, our guy in our church over there, Mr. Van Rye. He's a county commissioner, and he feels like God is using him in that role. Bo over here, you know, the gift of preaching that he has, it needs to be used. His knowledge of Scripture, it needs to be used. The different skills that you have, the different talents that you have, needs to be used. You can't stay sidelined. It can't, can't be parked up on the, on the shelf. It's got to be brought into work. And, and we see it being, I think Luke is saying, hey, church, Paul went out and Paul got these disciples, Silas and Timothy uh, and Luke, you know, and he, he poured into them and they had ministries of their own. And, and then he poured into uh, Aquila and Priscilla and they, they're, they're going out and they're, they're now Paulus is being, he, he was ministered, he was served, he was blessed. Now it's going out to more and more people. It doesn't stop. It's not supposed to stop. Use your business for the glory of God. Use your workplace for the glory of God. Use your talents, your skills. God always works. He never stops working through his people. His redemptive plan. The gospel rides on the rails of relationship. The gospel moves through us into others and moves further. The generations, I love the the title legacy, you know, leaving a legacy. The generations are going to be impacted by us three and four and five generations down the line, if we're faithful, if we're using our gifts, if we're allowing the Spirit to work through us, to, the power of God to work through us and use us, how many, how many generations down the line, if Jesus doesn't come back soon, are, are going to be serving because we were faithful, because God used us for His glory? It's incredible to think about. It's incredible to think about. You never retire, you never stop, you never, you never give up, you, you never give in to the world, you know, and just making it all about you. You go, you go, you go. God has called you to serve. Uh, it's, again, there's so much more here to talk about, but uh, we, we see um, uh, he powerfully refuted the, these people. And how many people in Corinth came to Christ? Now, if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll see immediately that Apollos had a huge following in Corinth. Uh, it actually turned unhealthy in some ways because there's factions in Corinth, Corinth right? That, that's a whole other sermon series, though, the book of, of 1 Corinthians. 
but nevertheless, there's powerful impact in, in Corinth. But look at verse, chapter 19. I want to go look, take this a little bit farther just to encourage you to think about where, where your ministry comes from and where your power comes from and how God wants to use you. Uh, look at chapter 19, verse 1. Chapter 19, verse 1. What, what happens next? And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland community country and came to Ephesus. So Apollos had gone to Corinth. You know, he's doing his ministry. Paul starts a third missionary journey, what we call the third missionary journey. He's moved through Turkey. He's gone the inland route. He comes to southwest Turkey to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Okay, great. So Paul's, uh, you know, a very extroverted guy, apparently, and he's always talking to people. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Uh, so there's, there's something there that's like, Paul's like, hmm, these disciples, they're not acting like disciples. There's something off here, maybe. And they said, no, we, we haven't even heard there was a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Now, I think Luke wants us, wants us to hold these different parts of the text together with that announcement, Apollos, you know, he was just baptized into John, and, and into John's baptism, they said. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And it's just fast. We don't know. Luke doesn't tell us, but why, why 12? You know, what, is that a number that we're supposed to pay attention to? Again, uh, a sacred number, a, a big, big, we're not sure. But anyway, the, the Apostle Paul, he comes and he finds these disciples. Hey, Paul, you should go check out those guys. We think they're disciples of Jesus or, or they came up to him or something. And, and he starts talking to them. And, and he finds out that they hadn't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. What? Kind of deal. Now, if they're, they're John's, again, so John the Baptist, his ministry ex, extends, it's about, I think it's, if I remember right, about 800 miles to where, from Jerusalem to where they are. And John the Baptist had an extensive ministry that just spread and spread and spread. All these Jewish men and women waiting for the Messiah, waiting for Jesus to come. They, they were baptized to, in repentance, and now they're waiting, they're waiting. And so they're kind of like, remember after World War II, some of the stories about soldiers like left in the jungle that they didn't even know the war ended? They just kept fighting for years and years and years? It seems like these guys, they're like, yeah, we're still waiting for the Messiah. And, and Paul says, hey, the Messiah's come. His name is Jesus, and he's, he sent forth the Spirit. You guys didn't hear Pentecost? You didn't hear the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost? Wow, it's incredible. So what I, what I imagine, you know, Luke is always summarizing things and, and putting stuff in a small enough package to fit on a scroll. He's always squishing down these sermons. I think Paul preached the gospel to him. He's like, hey, no, Jesus has come. He's the Lord. He died. He was buried. He rose on the third day. He ascended to heaven, right? And then on Pentecost, he sent forth the Spirit of God. And the world's been turned upside down since then. Now God has come and he's rocked the world. He's, he's changing life after life. And you guys, you, you've been hoping in the Messiah. His name is Jesus. Repent and believe in Jesus for your salvation. Right? And they did. They, they did. Right? It's a great moment. So then they're baptized in the name of Jesus. Right? I, and I don't know why, you know, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit... Now, the end of Matthew, why, why it's not said that way. But nevertheless, that's the way Luke says it. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Messiah. And they say, yeah, we're under Jesus now. He's our Messiah. He's our Lord. What a great moment. Uh, and then, then the very, very controversial and, and why kind of questions come with what happens next. Uh, he said uh, down in verse 6, Paul laid his hands on them. And the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and, and, and prophesying. There are about 12 men in all. Uh, my big point in this is to say, uh, and I, I'm going to run through this just a little bit. i got 10 more minutes. We can do this, right? We can do this. The, the big point is to say is that God has sent the Holy Spirit into the lives of His people. God has spent the, sent the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God has come into the church for power to change lives, to send us forth in ministry, 
to give us the power and the grace and the, 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 the walking us into the scriptures so we'll walk in the truth, live the truth, preach the truth, change lives. Uh, but what, what come, when we come to Acts 19, I, I, this is kind of some of you who haven't been with us, I've been saving this up for a long time because <laughs> it was Acts chapter 2, it was Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. There's, there's a view of this that's really interesting. There, uh, there's a view in Acts 19 that goes like this. These were believers, okay, that uh, they needed a second blessing. They needed the baptism with the Spirit or in the Spirit or by the Spirit to do ministry. So they were waiting. They were disciples. They were full-on disciples that had converted to, to, to Christ who had received the Spirit of God at conversion, but they're waiting for a second blessing. Okay? And uh, this is something that, that some people that read Acts a certain way, it, it carries on. Like they say, here's an example. Uh, they, they say in, in the book of Acts, uh, the apostles, they received the Spirit of God back when Jesus was still alive, back before Pentecost. So the Gospels tell us that all those people that eventually met in the, the 120 people that met in the upper room, they had come to Christ and they'd been given the Spirit, but Pentecost was a second blessing, a second filling, a second coming, as it were. Okay, and so that, then, then we move through Scripture, and then we get to Acts chapter 8. And you, some of you are here for that preaching and that long-winded sermon that went on and on and on. Um, uh, Acts chapter 8, Philip went to Samaria, right? A, a deacon of the church, he filled with the Spirit. He goes to Samaria, he preaches to the Samaritans, those dirty dogs, the Samaritans. And when he preaches, they actually come to Jesus, they actually say yes to the Lord. Who would think that the Samaritans, like who would think that the Alamosans would come to the Lord? Whoa, crazy kind of a deal. But they did. They, they turned to Jesus as their Messiah and their Lord, and they were saved. But then the, 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 whole, Jewish, the whole Jewish Christian world in Jerusalem, all the apostles, the church in Jerusalem, first church in Jerusalem, they're, they're, they're like, what? The Samaritans coming to Christ? And so they send Peter and John to go check it out, right? And, and so they go check it out, and, and you know, Peter lays hands, and, and uh, they, they get the Spirit. The Spirit of God comes, and there's, there's prophesying, like praising of God and, and exalting in God and testifying God's Word, and there's tongues speaking in other languages. Whoa, what's going on here? And, and so there, there's this, this idea that, man, this must be the pattern, this must be the pattern for Christians everywhere kind of deal. We, we get to Acts chapter 10, right? Remember when, when Peter goes there and he's preaching the gospel, uh, he's sent to a certain place to meet with his Gentile, Cornelius. Cornelius is, you know, this, this Gentile guy. He's a man of authority. He's a man of power. And, and the Spirit was working in Peter's life to say, hey, go to that Gentile. It's okay, right? That vision from heaven with the, with the animals, the unclean animals and the sheet coming down. Go and meet with him. And, and as he's preaching the gospel, Peter's preaching the gospel, the Spirit of God comes on, on Cornelius and his household. And they believe. They believe. And, and then they're water baptized. <laughs> and so it kind of throws a wrench in things, like a different pattern. And then we get to Acts 19. And uh, Paul lays hands on them, and they, 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 get the, uh, they get the Spirit. The Spirit came upon them, it says. So there's, there's this one idea, and, and again, the big picture, Christians can hold together. We can, we can, we can stay unified, different churches, but the, but the big idea is that the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit empowers, but I, I have a preference about how to interpret this. In, in Acts 2, in Acts, the, the, the four comings of the Spirit in Acts, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, and Acts 19, uh, um, some would say that there's a common pattern. That as believers, if we want to serve God in ministry, we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need the second blessing. We need the second coming of Spirit in our life if we're going to be effective. And the motives are good for holding this idea like we need power for ministry. God calls us to ministry. He sends us to ministry, every last one of us, and we need to serve powerfully and strongly and mightily, right? So we need the Spirit. But what I noticed in, in these, different, these four different comings of the Spirit all different. There isn't a pattern. There, there, you go read it yourself. There, there's not one 
common pattern and one common sequence that's always happened. There's the repentance and belief. There's the water baptism. There's the coming of the Spirit. And in, in some of the occasions, there's the tongues and there's the, there's the uh, prophesying. But they're all in different orders and different sequences. And in, in here, in, in Acts 19, I don't think these are believers. I think these people are still lost. They're hoping for the Messiah. Right? They've been blessed with the Jewish heritage. They've been blessed with the, the Jewish call to walk with Yahweh and to keep the, the Torah, keep the law, but they haven't come to Christ yet. So Paul, he preaches the gospel. They come to Christ, and it's at that point that the Spirit of God comes. Uh, the only place, that there's, there's seven places in the Scriptures where the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is, is listed or mentioned, uh, four of those in the gospel, two in Acts, but the, the one, the, the kind of theological touchstone, as it were, or, or basis that I always go to is 1 Corinthians Chapter 12, verses 12 through 13. And let me read this and I'll explain the, the alternative view, the one that I hold to about being empowered by the Spirit. First uh, Corinthians 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. So again, we're all members of the same body, right? And he go, now he's going to go into spiritual gifts, and you've been given a gift, and you've been given a gift, and you've been given a gift. Are you using that gift? How does God want you to serve others in Jesus' name? But he says, for in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, it doesn't matter. We're all made to drink of one spirit. The baptism by the spirit or with the spirit or in the spirit, I believe it, 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 the spirit of God comes into his people at conversion. Now, the whole regeneration, and, and if we believe first, we regenerated first, we believe first, and then the Spirit comes, that's a whole other sermon, too. But the Spirit of God comes when we convert, when we trust in Christ, the Spirit of God comes. And He not only comes into our life at that point, if you've been saved, you have the Spirit of God. You're not halfway full, you're not partially full, you're fully regenerated <laughs> if the Spirit of God has come. You're, not, you're either dead or you're alive, you're not halfway alive, as it were. Uh, the Spirit of God, so the Spirit of God came into your life, and you were baptized into Jesus. You were brought into the person of Jesus, as it were. The Spirit of God come, you were brought into His church, Jesus and His church. You have the Spirit of God. Now you're part of the family of God in Jesus Christ. We are called now to be on mission for Jesus. We are all called to be workers of Jesus, ambassadors of Jesus, witnesses for Jesus, servants of Jesus, edifiers, builder-uppers of others. You know, we each have a, we, I'm a ligament, you know, and you're a bone or whatever. We're, you're an eyeball. Some of you are hair follicle. No, just kidding. Uh, but you've you got that part in you that's meant to be used. Use it. But what I want to get at here is the Spirit of God will enable you and empower you for His glory, for the glory of Jesus, uh, and, and for the benefit of others. So when we look at Acts 19, we look at these, these other things, um, the way that I read Acts, and I've told you this again and again, Acts is a history book in many ways. It's telling us facts about what happened. And Acts is that transitional time between Old Covenant and New Covenant. It was a radical time where, where the, the Spirit of God is working in new covenant power, uh, from the old covenant to the new covenant. And so when I look at these kind of passages about uh, the apostle laid hands on these people and then the Spirit of God come, came, I don't see this as a blueprint. I don't see this as the, the normative way we should go. I don't see this as prescription. I see it as description of what happened back then. But now that we have the Scriptures... In the epistles, the apostles' teachings were, were told what the norm is. We're told how to live. We're told how to walk. The history gives us some perspective and some background, some teaching about what transpired. It was a, it was a transitional age. Like, remember, uh, when the Samaritans came to Christ, nobody believed that those stinking dogs could come to Christ. And so God allowed the apostles, Peter and John, to see the Spirit of God manifest in their presence. The, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke in tongues. They, 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 they prophesied, they glorified God. What a, what a great moment. But the apostles could say then, we saw those Samaritans 
with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God came upon them just like He did with us at Pentecost. It was like a mini Pentecost. Wow. Same thing with Cornelius. Remember chapter 10 and chapter 11? Uh, Peter could go back to the Jerusalem council and say, I saw that Gentile with the Spirit of God. God gave them evidence that they needed to see to believe, a transitional time. Same here with this semi-Christian group in, in, in Acts 19. They, they needed to see that God was in their midst. And so God, it was a grace not just to the Apostle Paul, but and to the church in Ephesus that these people could be were part of the church, but they were encouraged, like, yeah, God really is with us now. He, he moved in us and he acted in us and, 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 it, and it happened that way. I would submit to you that uh, uh, when the baptism of the Spirit is when you're converted. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, God works in your life, you place your faith in Jesus Christ, then you receive the baptism of the Spirit. Okay, but is that the end of, of the Spirit of God in our life or the end of changes or transitions? No. Because, again, and, and I, I've, I'm minus two minutes, but bear with me for a second. Uh, if you look at Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, um, it's, look at verse 18 with me, please. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. It, it says, uh, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual thong, songs. Thank you, Legacy, for addressing us today in songs, songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Edifying us through the words, through the lyrics of Scripture. And singing, making melody in, the, in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for everything to God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, I would say that the, the God, you know, sometimes God, we see in Acts where he fills people with the Spirit. Like, like. Like the apostles in Acts 4, you can go read that. They're filled with spirit kind of sovereignly. But we're commanded to be filled with the spirit. We're not, I, don't, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where, where we're commanded to be baptized in the spirit once we've been converted. But I see again and again, we're supposed to walk with the spirit, keep in step with the spirit, be guided by the spirit, be filled with the spirit. We're commanded to be filled with the spirit. For what purpose? To glorify God, to minister to people to love people, to serve people by the power of God in our life through our giftings and our talents and our, and our, and our work and our vocations. And, and you see here, when the Spirit of God fills somebody, there's, there's four things listed. You know, you're, you're, you're speaking to others with spiritual truths. You're worshiping God, singing, making melody to the Lord in your heart. You're, you're, give, you're giving thanks for God to God for everything and you're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Just four simple examples of what it means when the Spirit is in charge. When the Spirit's in charge. God's Spirit has come. The fullness of God is in you already. You don't have to seek a baptism of the Spirit. You don't have to have some sign anymore. God can sovereignly, get, sovereignly give it at any time. Of course, He's in charge. But now we have this, this teaching that the Spirit is here. Now it's our privilege, it's our honor to ask God to fill us. In the Old Testament, the filling of the Spirit was God animating His servants by His power to accomplish a task. When we ask God to fill us, it's not just for our joy and our happiness, it's for ministry. God, fill me so I can preach. God, fill me so I can serve that baby in the nursery. God, fill me so I can use my house for hospitality. God, fill me for the blessings of others. And when we, when we get rid of sin in our life, when we confess sin, when we submit to the Spirit like He's in charge, we don't put fences around what He can do and what He can't do. When we let Scripture dwell in us and we're living it out, the Spirit is powerfully in our midst and He does use us. He can use you anytime, any place. That, that, that's His plan. Uh, who's, who's your Apollos right now in your life? Who are you mentoring? Who, who are you praying for right now? That great ministry of prayer. Who are you uh, providing care packages for? Who are you serving at work? Who's your Aquila and your Priscilla that you're pouring into? Who, who's, who's the people that are just lost right now that haven't heard the gospel that you're sharing the gospel with? Ask the Lord to fill you with His Spirit. His Spirit's already fully in you. Does He have all of you, though? Ask Him to fill, fill you and use you. And then go. Serve. 
bless, love in Jesus' name the people around you. Let him use you for your power, for his glory, and for the transformation of lives. Man, God has always worked through his church, and he's going to continue to work through us. He calls, it, calls us to it. We must go. We must serve. We must give. We must participate in the work of God. Proclaiming the gospel, discipling others, transforming lives. That's an incredible work. God calls us to be co-workers with Paul and Apollos and Aquila and Priscilla for his glory. You guys are sent. We're sent. God always works through his people. God wants to work through you to change lives. Let's go. It's, it's, his, it's his, yeah, so please, okay, six minutes over. Please stand. Let's go. <laughs> Lord God Almighty, I pray for your spirit to come in a, in a, in a way <laughs> that you planned, your, your way of coming, Lord. In, in every believer in this room, we're, we're brick by brick brought together as the church of Jesus Christ. We're this building that you've made, that you inhabit. And, and, and now, Lord, we ask that you would show us, every last one of us, what our ministry is. Is it, is it making snacks for kids at camp? Is it, is it uh, cleaning the building? Is it, is it uh, going to, to Turkey as missionaries? What, what is it, Lord? Send us, use us for your glory. But we ask that even today you would fill us that you'd use us for your, your mighty plan, the fulfillment of, of the spread of the gospel for transforming lives. Give us that grace and that power. We love you so much, Lord. Um, send us out now for your glory and your fame. Thank you for letting us meet today. Thank you for letting us come together, uh, that you've invited us into your presence. Thank you for meeting with us, Lord. And now use us this week for your glory and honor and praise. Love you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God, by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.